previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. Oh my fucking days, have I got to do this again? But it all fits perfectly well, and this is the sort of thing that Remake 2 is just going to ruin, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We finally got there. Uh, we know Ada obviously escapes Raccoon City thanks to her rocket propelled lipstick. Operation Raccoon City, I just love it. In direct answer, I felt the, the motorbike sequence was cringe, cringe worthy <laughs> to the maximum. <laughs> <laughs> Should we mean to the next one? <laughs> yeah. Is this nineteen ninety six? And welcome to episode 43 of the Project Umbrella podcast, saving the world from poorly translated biohazard material. And what we'd assumed was a nasty pain brought on because we were playing Umbrella Corps, we're now attributing that to Harvey Weinstein. I'm Nick Bella, known as Neptune. <laughs> Let's see who is joining us today. He's not the hero of the North of England needs right now, but he's the one they deserve. Big improvement needed, said his last performance review. It's Batman. Good evening. He's just signed up to Amazon Prime. He's signed up for the Daily Alerts. His recorder is on standby, and he's cosplaying as a hobbit, all in preparation for the TV event series of the decade. It stars Tyrant. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for that. <laughs> I don't be negative. <laughs> and finally, he's recently revealed on Facebook that he has a larger DVD collection than what Jimmy Savile had at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. It's Rombie! <laughs> Coming up on today's podcast. What a fucking brave card you're playing at the minute with <laughs> everything that's going on. Jesus. We'll never get fucking employed anywhere again. So yes, we're doing a BOW podcast today. We're going to be looking at generally which has been the most effective BOWs, which have the worst. We've had lots of comments on our Facebook page, so lots of uh, listener input, which is great. We're also going to be looking at some of the specific BOW families that have arisen through the series and discussing the Tyrant and the Hunter programs as well. And we'll be finishing off with a BOW special of Neptune's biohazard quiz. So first up, we'll start with the news. So uh, first bit of news, Resident Evil, the live action TV show, or Dave, as it's been colloquially called, that recently got released by the producers, removing all biohazard references. Uh, It was about a 12 to 15 minute production. Quite corny, I suppose is one way of describing it. But what did everyone think? I loved it. I thought it was um, genuinely devastating that it didn't go to series. That can't be your opinion on it, surely not. No, it truly is. I I thought it was fantastic. Batman, do you agree with that? Are you going to support him in that? Um, not at all, no. I think it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I think I've watched it once. It was okay. It was okay until the zombie showed up. If they'd done a full pilot episode with Resident Evil references in it, I, would, I wouldn't have minded watching it. I think they said that the police officer was supposed to be Marvin Branagh, for example. And I think the producer said in an interview he's still trying to make a feature-length pilot episode with or without Resident Evil uh, references in it. So we'll see what happens. But I thought it was all right for what it was. Certainly yeah. better than the movies, anyway. 
I'll give it one thing. It got more atmosphere in 12 minutes than certainly the second, third, fourth, fifth, and probably sixth Resident Evil live-action films. Rombie, did you did you uh, have any different views on that? Or? I did not even watch it. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing out, my friend. I had it on my list of things to do that week, and it was just a super busy week. So For me, and I know I'll get slated for it quite rightly, perhaps, because I've grown up with Biohazard, and you know it was all my favourite franchise when I was at that age, I kind of got the same feeling that I had when I went to see the first Resident Evil film, seeing your franchise up in lights. It's like, oh my god, I'm actually in the cinema where you watch big Hollywood blockbusters and I'm seeing Resident Evil in the cinema. And I kind of got that same kind of feeling, that kind of gloating, I know more about this than Joe Bloggs sitting down on the road in the cinema. And I think there's a compulsive need to want it to be really good so that if it kicks off and becomes a huge thing like Game of Thrones, for example, you're going, yeah, yeah, I liked it before you liked it, mate that kind of feeling and so I, I think from my point of view there's always that need to like it which is why I, I still have a soft spot for the first Resident Evil film but obviously that went progressively downhill so I thought for the first 12 minutes it was quite good we had um, a kind of weird mansion big house type thing acting was on the okay-ish side I thought the zombie was quite cool I thought it looked quite creepy you could see it coming and I don't know I thought it was alright I thought it was alright I'd like to see more of it the premise is a good one you know a detective working for the RPD investigating the murders that lead up to the mansion incident I think that's a good idea rather than having it purely focused on like the stars members and you know showing hunters and lickers running around in bad CGI that just wouldn't work you could have lots of cameos like have a press conference with Chief Irons or have a Wesker walk past in the background stuff like that but I think the idea itself is, is not a bad one at all it would have been interesting to see if it ever did get commissioned how I suppose it's a bit like Gotham isn't it in that sense it's like at what point do you end it because you're now at the point where Batman's ready to come onto the scene at what point would Arclay have finished would it have been everything leading up to the mansion incident how often do you bring the stars team into the show if at all do you recanonize that village story with Jim? <laughs> All these things that you could have done. So, yeah, I agree. The premise was quite good. I, I did actually think it was atrocious. <laughs> no! <laughs> but in trying to be constructive, I think the reason it didn't go to series was because there was not a single original idea in there. I think in the wave of like current TV, you really have to do something to stand out. And I think The Walking Dead kind of has the... And I know its ratings aren't what they were at the minute. I think this series is a particularly rough patch for The Walking Dead. But that kind of has the, the zombie monopoly, if you like, for TV. And a guy just walking around quiet houses in the dark with a flashlight, I just don't think it's enough to stand out. You didn't get enough from the characters, I don't think. They seemed pretty paper thin. I know it was only a 15-minute teaser to test the waters, but some shows establish a lot in their first... 30 minutes, yeah. 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 You know, leading on to that, is, uh, how far could it have gone before too many people in the RPD knew of the existence of basically the undead? It is worth saying, we don't know how it would have felt with the Resident Evil references in. I sort of see what you're saying, Nick. I think you probably would have had that real kick if, like, the MO disc you found in the barbecue just had the umbrella logo on. You'd be like, oh, fucking hell. Exactly. The problem, though, then, and this is another part of the issue with the pilot, is that you can't also rely on that as well. Like, you can't just be putting those things in and it's only for people who know the reference. It's a bonus if people get it, but you need to have something grounded and established in order to make it work for people who have not seen or played or done anything with this franchise before it has to be yeah. inclusive of that as well yeah. so it has to work both ways so I know someone who tried to get a Silent Hill TV series off the ground several years ago and they struck the same issues so oh. Next bit of news, 
sales figures. We always like to update our listeners with sales figures. This is obviously predominantly looking at Resident Evil 7, which has now sold 4.1 million copies. How does that compare to the others? Um, I hear you say Resident Evil 2, 4.96 million units. Resident Evil Slash Director's Cut, 5.8 million. Resident Evil 4, 6.9 million. Resident Evil 6, 8.2 million now. And the biggie, Resident Evil 5, still kicking ass after all these years, 10.5 million units. Much to your delight, I'm sure, Batman and Stars. Nick, you can't mention us in the same sentence. No, no. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I think, haven't all 4, 5 and 6 had a reasonably good boost of sales with the PS4 re-releases? Re-releases and digital gave them a massive boost. I find mad. It's like, who is still buying them? (laughs) They're almost constantly on sale when there's a sale up. They usually go up or packages... Um, which probably helps. Lots of people repurchasing them, obviously, as well. I mean, this is the thing you've got to put in context. This is the thing. It's just like, so Resident Evil 7's past what they hope to get in its first release months. Yep. Which is great, and it will probably get a boost from Gold Edition. So you'd hope it would pass 5 million within the first year of release. But that'll still be short of where they wanted it to be, which they expected another sell another 2 million this year. Uh, maybe with Gold Edition, maybe possible. I mean, from my point of view, in, in liking the direction of Resident Evil 7 took, it's still well short of Resident Evil 6. Yeah, but Resident Evil 6 underperformed at release. Like, if you go back to the original first year PS3, Xbox 360 sales, it was definitely way down. And also Capcom had already shorted its sales productions before it even launched, because they were less confident in it, the way it was going. So the fact that it just had long legs, I think, has probably surprised everyone. I mean, it surprised us, obviously. It would be interesting to note how profitable Resident Evil 7 is, though, because it, I can't imagine it cost as much as Resident Evil 6 to make. They've said it, it wasn't the case. They've already said that it, it was profitable sales at three point something. Oh, uh, OK. So I can't remember whether it was in the financial reports or news story. But, um, but this is the other thing you've got to put into context. is like, for example, the sales of Resident Evil 2 on PlayStation was at 4.9. The majority yep. of that 4.9 within the first eight months of release was it because they re-released it with the DualShock version which isn't counted into that which has its own sales chart because that came out about 10 months 19 months after the original release of Resident Evil 2 so those PlayStation sales only count the first so many months plus PAL versions would that include the N64 version no no that's just the PlayStation version just PlayStation because the other thing that changes these sales markers is that 4 doesn't, but 5 and 6 in particular combine all platforms. Oh. They started doing this because, at first it was because they were day and date, so like 5 launched on multiple platforms same day, so those sales are combined. Now, for some reason, they just start combining all the sales total. So you'll see on the list of releases, like 5 and 6 have, you know, PS3, Xbox 360, PS4, Xbox One, digital download, PC. Why, other than to boost the look of the sales, I don't know. But 7 has mm. the same thing. Like, that's combined sales to 7 on all platforms. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Rombie, for that. That's a lot of useful information. Other bit of news, Revelations 2. Yes, now available on your Nintendo Switch platform. I think, uh, Star Star, you have a Nintendo Switch. I do, yeah. Are you going to be purchasing this just so you can play the brand new Ghost Ship Panic and the Ghouls and Homoluculi? Homoluculi? I won't. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I won't pick it up because there's, there's nothing. <laughs> there's not enough in there for me personally to repurchase it when you've already got like definitive versions on PS4 but it's got some tagged on motion controls that make it look like it plays quite similar to uh, 4 Wii Edition 
Ah, good. Which, that was good. Which would be a draw to some people. You've got like the, the swinging of the, the Joy-Cons to mimic the knife, and I think it uses the accelerometer in it or whatever to do the aiming. So um, they look functional ports. I don't know if they're the full fat 60 frames a second versions as you get on the PS4, but they look the part, and on a portable screen, they'll look great. They'll translate really well. Capcom I just announced... They've cancelled the physical so, release for Europe. Uh, yeah. That's a drawback as well. Only being able to have like a digital version of Revelations 2. And then now we're not even getting Revelations 1 over here physically. They've just said it's not viable to release them physically in, in Europe. I'm guessing it's because the number of language versions mm. yeah. um, for packaging and so forth. The, the stor- carts themselves will have multi-language, but the um, packaging requirements. Storage on the carts is, is very limited. Well, that's the other thing. The cost ratio is pretty high. I mean, it's the problem that cartridge formats going decades back always had is that they cost more expensive. But the thing is it then puts the cost on the end user because they have to have SD cards big enough for the space to download. So uh, I suppose the big question on everyone's lips is are these new side-scrolling action games canon? (laughs) I'd be very surprised. Moving on, Capcom have released two new trailers for the downloadable content for RE7. Tape 2, Redfield, and Tape 3, Lucas, gives us a good flavour of the Not A Hero DLC, as well as the traps and and enemies that Chris is going to be encountering. We've got new moulded variants, don't look too dissimilar to what we've encountered beforehand, in in my opinion, but never mind. And we also get to see the the group that Chris leads already in saw-like traps. We don't quite know how they got caught, but clear Really, the uh, combat training they've been doing hasn't been effective. We also get a glimpse of uh, End of Zoe DLC introducing uh, the new character called Joe, who looks a um, bearded Father Christmas type chap. And he comes to rescue Zoe after she's turned into uh, a weeping angel type creature. Somehow restored, we don't know yet, who knows. And um, well, that's all we've really had on End of Zoe. We've had no real gameplay elements. We don't know if who the main baddie's going to be. We don't know where it's going to be set. We assume in the swamp, but... That's only an assumption. All will be answered on uh, December the 12th when RE7 Gold Edition is released. Except unless you live in Japan, they get it on the 14th, so screw them. Thoughts? <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. I'm even looking forward to Not A Hero just as a, as a VR experience. I think it'll be really good fun. We'll see what Chris has been up to, hopefully. Um, but End of Zoe, I just cannot wait for. I think it's going to be fabulous. I, I really hope it is. I've said before that Daughters is one of my favourite chapters of recent years. And this just feels like a sort of successor to that. Interestingly, I don't know if we'll be playing as Zoe, because the wording on the websites, and I don't think it's been confirmed anywhere, but the wording doesn't actually describe like the player character. It just sort of says, witness, you know, Zoe's end. Mm. Whereas the Not A Hero description specifically says, take control of Chris. Mm. Mm. I mean, maybe the clue is in the title itself. It's the end of Zoe. Like, it's like not just the end of the story. It's we'll find out. I enjoy the fact they haven't been showing much from it. I think leaving that to a surprise is is much better. Yeah, they've Um, done well. Yeah, I was going to say a bit of resolve from Capcom to not always show everything before they release it. Who knows? There might be a final launch trailer which shows way too much in December but we'll see all I want from not a hero story wise is more information on the original rival company because we know they've evolved into this new umbrella but if they give us a name for the company for what it was when Wesker was there originally and some more information because that is one of the last remaining unanswered plot threads from the old generation of storylines so I'm hoping we get some information that way because I couldn't really care less about this new umbrella I'm more interested in what the rival company were originally when the old umbrella was still about 
So I'm just mm-hmm. hoping they don't put that HCF reference they had in the base game to waste. I really feel like putting that in there had intent. If it mm. were, and I'd be exactly the same if it went to waste because it wasn't pre-planned to have that in there. So specific. Because as a reminder, I suppose, with HCF first featured in Code Veronica, there's always been an assumption it's, that it's always been the paramilitary wing of the organisation that Wesker's working for. Whether they expand upon that anymore, we don't know. And of course, this is the organisation he worked for before starting to associate himself with S. Seashell, Tricell, <laughs> whatever you can, want to call them. Can someone remind me, it's not in any written form in Code Veronica other than what's on the back of his thing, on the back of his jacket. Am I right? It's not written down anywhere. No. It's literally the, the only translation we had of it, reference to it, was the design character sheet that said Hive slash Host Capture Force, right? That's it, yeah. It's written in files yeah. in um, Gun Survivor 2. Oh, yes, yes. yeah. Forgot about that. I think you're right. Mm. I think it is the special forces, but because the rival company have never been given a proper name, I think that's why they're called HCF in the file in seven, because that's the only sort of label, if you like, we've ever had to identify them. Mm. It'd be interesting to know if we ever get why Wesker's affected in the first place, especially if the timelines match up to when we've got this discovery of the so far unnamed fungus. And did Wesker have any involvement with its discovery and, and subsequent research? Why he went to Tricer? It's very possible because the fungus was discovered when Wesker was with them and obviously the technical assistance was done in 2000 and at some point the rival company left the programme so the connections as they're called are the ones who created Eveline and now for whatever reason the rival company have become Umbrella and now Umbrella want Eveline back so the need to explain all that. Mm. And that's who attacked the, the ship? Well, no one attacked the ship, it was just the storm, oh, we... but she was moved because they, they thought she was going to get abducted by rival organisations, yeah. Yes. When I remember originally playing it, it felt like, why have they taken so long to find her? But I think they knew where she was, they actually realised it was a safer, given what had happened nearby, it was a safer thing to leave her there to avoid being captured by other companies. Am I correct in that understanding? Well, we don't really know, but the implication is because Eveline was loose on the Baker farm, she was too dangerous to approach, so that's why they've got in contact with Lucas, and he's given them progress reports. From the trailer, he seems to have set up this lab in the market himself and he's been experimenting on the mould so there's quite a lot they've got to explain and obviously on top of all that they have to explain Chris's newfound allegiance to this new umbrella as well yeah yeah. that's a lot that is a lot for one game uh, and certainly one DLC of one game (laughs) Um, two really they can put a little bit more in the other one but yeah it's mostly just not a hero that's a lot I I suspect we're going to be walking away with more questions than answers (laughs) I'm just putting it out there probably it seems a lot end of Zoe the promotional picture you see a fleet of helicopters in the background so whether that's relevant yeah. or not I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do wonder because of Umbrella Corps for all its uh, rubbishness did introduce a hell of a lot of different organisations as part of this Umbrella Corps programme so there's like Sheng Yar and loads of others. Is it feasible that any of them could be the rival organisation? I don't think so because the rival organisation is Umbrella now. It's a continuation of the plotline from Resident Evil 4 where Wesker wanted to resurrect Umbrella. Yeah but I'm just wondering whether they they would rather than think of a, a different company they'll just go what well, it is it was Sheng Yar all along possibly but then Heavenly Island you've got this new umbrella corporation selling weapons to Sheng Yar so it's it's doubtful they're the same uh, organisation okay might make it I think, I, I think that's part of the reason why they axed all that stuff in Umbrella Corps because they didn't want to make it too complicated before Seven mm. once they actually knew it, where Seven was going perhaps I'm expecting a big kind of plot twist of a dum 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 oh my god the rival organisations it's been Will Farmer all this time you know, <laughs> you know I don't know. I don't know. It's probably just going to be something completely new, and everyone's just going to go, okay. As long as it's answered, I don't care. 
<laughs> I just don't want it to be the same old cliche that we've talked about, especially with the animated movies, but like the general, like here's the rotational bad guy for this situation and their motivation is the same greed motivation and like we release a virus and then blah, blah, blah. Ugh, it's been the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> and Ada's storyline is always quite complicated. This is also going to be the same organisation that Ada was working for during Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Yeah, so that might, and, and might, four. and four, yeah, so there might be some hints here about Ada's role and motivations as well, so that could be a little surprise. Possibly, yeah, but like you said, it's a hell of a lot they've got to explain what essentially is going to be a, a 45 minute DLC, so whether they do or not, who knows. Rumour, Remake 2 is apparently going to be in third person. That's the rumour going around. Uh, information supposedly released by an inside source said that there was credible information about how new characters for the fighting game Injustice 2, he leaked that as well, which was verified as being correct. Information posted by a user on Biohaze suggests Remake 2 isn't in first person, though there is a first person option hidden in the debug menu. Mm. Going down a dead aim route, I really feel. I think the rumour is that they haven't decided which is the which is the best kind of uh, um, perspective. Perspective, that's thank you very much. Uh, at the moment, uh, until they've completed more of the game, uh, whether it's going to be uh, like a bonus mode at the end, a bit like Code Veronica, which had that kind of first-person battle mode at the end, didn't it? Whether they're going to do that or going back to the third person. Purists out there will be going, well, that's great that it's in third person, but does that mean it's over the shoulder or is it going to be fixed camera angles? That we do not know. It's not going to be pre-rendered at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there also another rumour about the scenario... Only... Yes, yes, that's Sorry. the other rumour. No A and B scenarios any longer. That's going to be interesting yeah. to see what they um, handpick from all four scenarios. Well, that makes it interesting. I was thinking about it because Resident Evil 2 has always been a bit of a... There's no real defined route. It's a bit of everything, isn't it? A bit like Resident Evil 1. In the early days, it seemed more defined to be clear A, Leon B, but as the years have gone on, that's become more and more blurry. Mm-hmm. It has. So. The key events are still Leon, uh, sorry, Claire A, Leon B, but it, yeah, there are elements from all four scenarios. It's not as black and white as Claire A, Leon B, and that's it. The danger for me is if they just take any inspiration from Darkseid. I was just saying they got to be careful in some things, because things like Death's Door is directly linked, isn't it, to what the scenario is from Umbrella Chronicles. Fourth Survivor as well, maybe, and uh, the retrieval of the G-Virus sample and conflicting information in perhaps the archives. Things like that. So there's obviously bits that we know that they have to hit, like the stuff with Sherry, like that originally came from Clear A. That all has to be consistent to what's come in other games, like Resident Evil Six afterwards, which I guess makes certain things easier than others. But yeah, be very interesting watch their mashup. I, I was going to say, I think there was a discussion that was blamed on the development time trying to get it done. It's just like I start thinking about the scope of like games now, and it's just like. And the time since they announced it, I think it's almost been as long as Capcom had originally on the entirety of development of the original Resident Evil 2, including 1.5. So to put that in perspective, and also probably the same for Remake, the original GameCube version Remake, the development time on that was a couple of years, if that. But Capcom, to my knowledge, Rob, don't have any sort of overheads in a way that, like, DICE would with Electronic Arts, do they? So surely they can just take their time and just release it whenever. Yeah, they've got no pressure to get it. I think it would really come down to management and shareholders' expectations. The management will come down to how much they've got as far as games to release that year and what they're expecting to be big releases. Because obviously most companies try to have at least one or two big releases a year and Capcom's no different in that respect but other than that no they don't set a date usually and go 
we're going to get it out by this date. They just kind of announce it and say, I mean, Resident Evil 7 is a perfect example of that. They didn't announce a date until quite near the end of development and then yeah. literally showed it at E3 and it was out the following January, which is pretty big. We know that was in development for a long time, so... Mm. That does conclude the news, so we now move on to our main discussion of uh, this podcast, which is our B.O.W. special. It was during these three years that our research moved up to the second level. It was at this point that we fixed upon the idea of making a living biological weapon. We started to call the T-Virus by a new name, Zombie. However... It was impossible to get a 100% infection ratio. Within people, there is a subtle difference that the virus couldn't totally overtake. It seems compatibility was also a major factor. About 10% of the people who were injected with the zombie virus didn't get infected. And this was something that, no matter how hard we researched, we just couldn't overcome. A disease that would affect 90% of all humans seemed to me to be quite an effective weapon. But Spencer didn't see it that way. Spencer said he was hoping for a specialty virus that could easily wipe out everyone. But why in the world would he want something like that? One important characteristic of biological weapons was that they could be developed cheaply. However, the biological weapon that we were researching started to become very costly. If Spencer was in it just for the money, then he probably wouldn't have chosen to spend the extra money on researching a specialty virus that infected and wiped out 100% of its victims. It just wasn't financially worth it. Why would he want to ignore all financial concerns just to continue the research? If by changing the idea of war through biological warfare, he was attempting to monopolize all military industries, then... <laughs> I would have understood that. But, even to this day, I have no idea what his true intentions were. So, in terms of uh, the podcast today, we've got a discussion on POWs, which of course have been the staple of the Resident Evil series since its very inception. Without POWs, there wouldn't be a Resident Evil. Without the humble zombie turning his head in the first game, where would this game series be? Nowhere. We've had all sorts of POWs over the years. It started off, I suppose, with the human aspect and gradually, you know, certainly with Resident Evil 1, we started seeing plant, fish, birds and then Resident Evil 2 took it to new chapters and Outbreak 2 I'll put in a special nod there for the infected zoo and Resident Evil 0 was very much like a bugs and quite a primitive BOW collection and then it all went to hell Resident Evil 4 onwards there was science there was science behind the classic games crap science yes but science there was sense and then the introduction of the Plagas um, certainly will be a curtailing point in this podcast no doubt created cave trolls and other Lord of the Rings inspired creatures some good some bad and it's kind of gone on from there and 
I feel Resident Evil 7 brought it back somewhat to uh, a bit of normality, but uh, that, that's just a, a personal opinion. So what we thought with this podcast was to kind of go through what everyone thinks has been the most successful BOW, and by that I'm talking about their effectiveness in the field, in the battle arena, how well would they actually work for their intended purpose. And we've got quite a lot of information through supplementary uh, materials such as Wesker's Report 2 as to what the original intentions were behind the, the products they were selling, and of course we've got hints to dead aim and buyer's bidding on particular BOWs and the like. Um, and Umbrella Chronicles, of course, having the uh, the, the factories and the, the storage facilities in the Russian base. So there's there's lots to kind of get through. I wanted to start with one of the, the favourite BOWs and perhaps the first proper BOW encounter in Resident Evil is the Hunter. All the creatures up to the point of encountering the Hunter in the first game have been almost secondary infectants to an extent. So the, the crows and the dogs and, and the humans to that extent. But it's when when you first come across that hunter that quality video as you're exiting the guardhouse so you've just gone through all hell on earth with plants and sharks and god knows what and then you're encountered by these green humanoid reptilian beasts and that's the hunter and it's strange isn't it because it's so different to what you've encountered before and yet it felt right and that's i think that's the beauty of a lot of the earlier games and bow's it's, it still felt within the science of resident evil so that's a bit of a rant there but there we go um <laughs> so the first hunter that came out was actually the MA120 which is only referred to in the Resident Evil 2 N64 edition in the X-Files. Oddly it's not mentioned in Wesker's Report 2 but we do get the history of the 121 Alpha and um, how it was created uh, through reptilian DNA injected into human embryos with the T-virus as well. As I said we started with the 120, we don't need to dwell on the 120, we never see it or do we? Do we see it? In Resident Evil 2. To be honest, you know, if you're talking about in terms of pure game development, it is just the Resident Evil 1 Hunter model, and it's just literally laid on the floor in the room. Mm. That's a connective tissue for people who had never played a Resident Evil game, like who only had a Nintendo 64. So obviously it also had to prep them for the then-planned release of Zero. Yes. So um, we'll start then with the MA-121 Alpha, which is the reptilian hunter that's appeared in Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil Zero, Resident Evil Survivor. Umbrella Chronicles. And the, obviously just the remake. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. That was that was and, applied, uh, I think. Revelations, I think, is this Hunter as well, isn't it? In the Terra Grigia section. Um, is that the Alpha model? I think so. I don't think it's implied to be anything different, is it? It's not a mass-produced one from Code Veronica or anything. It's the same model as the remake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no files in Revelations which imply it's anything different. No. The 121 was the first mass-produced Hunter. Highly yes. versatile it was, and I think all subsequent models were based on that one. Except for the, what's the one in three? It was like a frog. Oh, the gamma. gamma. The gamma. I think we reminisce a lot about the Hunter. I think there's a general consensus, certainly amongst us as podcasters, that the original Hunter in Resident Evil 1 is still the most deadly. Mm. Um, no other Hunter seemingly quite got to that level of holy shit, <laughs> as he does that kind of leap of death and off goes your head at full Exceptionally, exceptionally unpredictable, yeah getting tag-teamed. It's heartbreaking watching them be so dumbed down to the point in Revelations where you're just literally punching them to death. Mm. It's, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, going up against a, a hunter in the original, the knife was... Foolish. As I said, it, it was so different to what you'd encountered before. Even, you know, the snake moved relatively slowly. Well, the hunters were jumping around, leaping about. It took, you know, some time to kind of get a fix on it. But Wesker's Report 2 was interesting because it, it went into a lot of history about the creation elements of it and the intent, if you like, of being able to send in these bioorganic weapons. And it was the first real success 
that the Arclay facility had. Apparently it was based on a concept to attack enemies who were armed with antivirus equipment and because it had intelligence and it could understand orders, it was called Hunter because they were literally good at hunting in packs. Wesker's report too says that it was the early 80s when they started work on the project but because William Birkin went a bit mental because Alexia Ashford at the time was emerging as his big competitor, um, a lot of the research was wasted because Birkin was becoming very careless. And uh, I think the Hunter program was temporarily suspended, which explains a little bit why they probably didn't come into the fore until the late 1990s. Yeah, you're right. There is a big gap in the development of the program. I was going to say, isn't there a file? And I remember this as a good bit of foreshadowing. There's one of the researcher assistant files is talking about the skinned gorilla thing mm. that was playing with its food yeah and i assume that's always supposed to have been a hunter based on the original concept art anywhere we could see kind of like a skin vein kind of thing going on yeah i thought that was really good foreshadowing because you have no idea what the hell it's referencing until you see the hunters and you go oh oh see that's interesting implies, i always thought well, see that's the thing that's always been a little bit out to debate but the description kind of more matches a hunter and as a research thing it seems relatively recent which would imply that again maybe it's only brought up again in the mid 90s mm. I think one of the developers did clarify. I think Welsh was the one who asked, um, and it was confirmed to be a hunter, yeah. I think it's the Resident Evil Survivor in the BOW report that first kind of says how these are created with a kind of reptilian element. I don't think the Survivor got it right, though. Didn't it just say directly injecting the DNA? Certainly in the UK translation, directly injecting the T-virus into human DNA randomly creates hunters. I think they were just using the genetic information of various reptiles. <laughs> And using the T-virus to like alter the, the gene structure or whatever. I think they were using reptiles because they wanted to create something that developed like, you know, hardened ridged skin like a crocodile to act as like a natural armor plating against guns and whatnot. Mm. So, as I said, they appear in multiple games. They're released in Zero as well by, um, well, Marcus releases them, I think. It's probably another discussion, really, but it's never really clear where exactly they come from in Zero. Yes, that's true. The, the first game, it's Wesker that releases them, and that's in the courtyard. He brings them in, doesn't he? Yeah. Am I imagining it that there are pods that they were in? Well, you see some sort of broken animal cages in one of the rooms in Marcus's lab, but that's about it. Yeah. You know, there's speculations that were taken there by the investigation team, but that doesn't really make any sense. No. But as I said, they were one of the first mass-produced models. We see them, in, they obviously got shipped over to Sheena Island as well. I don't think there's any evidence of them being produced on Sheena Island, as that was tend to be the, this kind of tyrant plant, but they were there and relatively effective. Anyone have any particular horror stories of hunters from their playthroughs over the years? I've been tag-teamed. That's probably the worst, other than um, being having just been had your head swiped off. Especially the original, come up from the basement, and then the Ken hallway and there's two of them in there and if they both get your attention they come running up from down the end of the hallway up to the double doors at the end and will literally get into an alternate swiping attack so one hits you the other one hits you one hits you the other one hits you there's nothing you can do you're dead it's happened to me twice I think that room's always had two in it but I think in the director's call somewhere has three doesn't it yeah that particular I think it's got spiders in the director's yeah spiders yeah Um, I think the hunters have been moved to the dog hallway on the outside where the spiders are in the original version but I can't remember which room's got three but I know one of them has three one of them's far off is it the hallway 
beside it where the jewel and the greenhouse yeah, and stuff might have three. There's two in the hallway, but one's hidden in the nook towards it the... jumps um, out, yeah, yeah. As you yeah, yeah that's, that's <laughs> the one I think has three. But that's okay, because at least you can attack the other two with that one not coming out until it jumps out, because it, it gives you a fright. Yeah. It was always um, but, the scariest thing when you were doing a no-save run. But that's what I was about to get to. Surely they'd be the curse of a no-save yeah. run. Yeah, because <laughs> a green find decapitation was not uncommon. Yes. <laughs> And as we said earlier, they've never really been as effective as they were in that game. I mean, let, let me be brutally honest. The reason why they are so unfair is because they're quite broken. You can't shoot them during certain animations. You can only shoot them on the ground if you shoot them during the aerial attack. Then you can get a free shot on them on the ground. So it, it's more of like the age of the game, I think, which is what lends them the difficulty. It would be nice if they'd kept that ferocity in the remake because they were really dumbed down in the remake, I thought. Well, I suppose the remake had crimson heads as well to kind of counteract perhaps any dumbing down or fixing mm. of the, the brokenness. You could go, you know, a kind of halfway house between the two. So, as I said, that was always the base model going forward. And what follows on from the Hunter 121 really is a deviation of the research. So, Umbrella Europe continued with their research and developed the 121 beta. Wesker was successful in retrieving the combat data of the 121 from the mansion incident, and that was then flogged off to said rival corporation. Sorry, I think the beta was Umbrella America, the one with all the tumours on. Yes, the one from Resident Evil 3, the kind of purpley type. Yeah, that was an American one, and the Hunter Gamma, the amphibian one, was Umbrella Europe, I think. Ah, thank you for the correction. Always useful to know. And as I was saying, the rival organisation made the Hunter 2. We'll take them each in turn. We'll start with the beta I was always disappointed with the beta. I remember very distinctly playing Resident Evil 3 and then you get that cutscene in the hospital because that's when they turn up with Carlos and it's, it's all very quiet and you're like, what the hell? What the hell? And then you just hear the noise, that kind of whoosh, mm. and you're like, oh shit. Bear in mind, you haven't seen a Hunter for a long, long time uh, in the kind of gaming world. You've had Resident Evil 1, Director's Cut, 2. You've gone through all this and you're like, oh shit, they're back. Of course, Jill's back, Hunter's back naturally and it just didn't live up to the same the beta was really disappointing i think it was um, more sound based i think if i remember correctly i think there's a little bit of story in there as well though because i think it is explained that they were defective because of the tumors they have all over them and i don't think they're meant to be quite as powerful as the, the base one two one model but from a gameplay perspective that's an odd decision to make because you'd think they'd want to make a more powerful one or at least the same yeah, yeah. i don't remember ever being troubled by the beaters but i think part of me also took that down to the fact that by this point i was playing with carlos with an assault rifle yeah exactly yeah <laughs> which i don't think helps <laughs> there is and one particular there. room i think it's in the <laughs> upper levels of the hospital the room where you meet nikolai in, and as soon as you walk in the way the camera angle is you can't see anything and you can hear mm. at least two of them as soon as you come in the door they can see you and they're coming at you straight away you hear the thun 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 yeah yeah run across the room or leaping could they do a decap it did in cutscene, but it was censored, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so this is about part of that whole censored situation. I think they were probably planned to do decaps, and they took it out because of that same reason they changed that cutscene. Because mm. the Japanese version, I think the Japanese version is censored only because it was the Japanese version, and then the, there was a planned version of it uncensored for the US, and then they ended up changing their mind and censoring it again. I think that's my memory of it, which is why it was a late-minute change, which is why it's still kind of, it does a decap, but the head stays attached, and there's like the sound of blood coming out, like it was, a head had been removed. Oh, there we go. But I'm sure you could adopt a, a different tactic to them. I'm sure that if you were quiet or didn't run, they tend to react more to your sound. 
of your footsteps than other hunters. I think that in theory. I can't remember. I definitely remember that of the gamma. Well, the, yeah. That's I mean, probably because they're blind. I think they've got no eyes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, we can come on to the gamma. Um, going back to the beta, that it's only ever appeared in Resident Evil 3. We've never seen it again. Yes, yeah. I was going to say, story-wise, sorry, you were talking about the tumors and stuff. It almost smacks of, like, a level of desperation, like the situation in Raccoon had gotten out of control, and they're like, well, we've got these slightly defective models, but I guess they're still viable. Yeah. Let's just Let's put see them what, out. Yeah, see how they go, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah maybe. So at the same time, Umbrella Europe shipped in the, uh, the 124 gammas, uh, that the hunters and you encounter them fairly quickly after the beaters if we're honest um, in, the, in Raccoon Park they've subsequently appeared in in the Outbreak games colloquially known as Frogger these have always been I think again quite poor hunters clearly when they were being created they injected a lot of amphibian DNA as perhaps necessarily a reptilian DNA I think it's always been a bit contentious as to whether it's reptilian or amphibian for the main hunters or a bit of both but clearly with the Froggers we've got a lot more amphibian dna because they do resemble giant frogs uh, yeah. or humanoid type frogs but not on the same level as the lurker now this has never ever happened to me but you can be engulfed by them they don't have the decap but they have a swallow yeah it's happened to me has it oh okay where you're crossing the little bridge with jill in the park mm. I remember stopping once just to look at the, the scenery, if you like, because it's like a nice, it's quite attractive camera angle back in the day. And then one of them just jumps out of the water. And, you know, if, you don't, if you're too close to it, yeah, it's a one-hit kill. Interesting, because lurkers could do it as well in Zero. That, yeah. that, they could swallow you with their tongues. They, you can be cross, way across from them, and if they grab you in the tongue and you don't break out of it, mm. they just drag you straight in. I think the lurkers were, again, considered a failure by Umbrella, because unless they were near a water source, they were pretty useless for obvious reasons. Yeah, and they've turned up again in Dark Side Chronicles. Javier Hidalgo bought a load because obviously they were they'd be quite effective in the flooding Amazon River. Yes, and they also appeared in um, they did appear in Dark Side Chronicles as well, uh, making a I'm guessing a canonical appearance in the sewers of Resident Evil 2. We weren't sure, but uh, overall I thought the Froggers were poor, but they were in the hospital as well, weren't they? Yeah. In those two tanks. Is it implied that Umbrella Europe put them in there? at some point i think they were captured by hospital staff they were attacking them and somebody shot them with some sort of tranquilizer dart and then they dragged them and put them into tanks as translated from a chinese drama album <laughs> it's probably something to do with the fact that they were trying to create a t-virus vaccine down there yeah very very cool actually yeah we'll let them off. <laughs> yeah, yes obviously yeah. got too bad and being a hospital too it kind of makes sense Umbrella Europe was on the scene by the 28th when the Nemesis came in. So there's quite, as you said, quite a few days for, for something like that to happen. But I don't know whether you could be swallowed whole in Outbreak. I used to run. I, just, I couldn't be bothered with them all the time. I just, just getting out of it. But I don't know if, if a swallowing uh, mechanism was prevalent in the Outbreak games as well. Yeah, it, it can ruin a decision's decisions playthrough. Oh, can it? Oh, can yeah. they? Okay. Bastard things are. Which tells you that they're perhaps a little bit more effective than we give them credit for. Yeah, there we go. I, I stand correct. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't like their um, design revision in Outbreak, though. They were a little bit smaller, weren't they? Yeah. They had much bigger throats. They were even more frog-like than... Uh, yeah, because the, the ones in Resident Evil 2 were quite gooey, weren't they? They looked a bit like more humanoid, yeah. In, in Outbreak, they were a bit more 
froggy. So at some point in Raccoon City, we had the MA125R and the Hunter Mew. I don't think there's a lot of difference between them. Uh, the Hunter Mew was just a smaller version of the 125R, and I barely remember seeing them in End of the Road, whatever the last chapter was called. Yeah, I think they were created for training purposes for the T103, because they yes. had battle zone thing with the red laser beams. The 125R looks really cool with its spines. Mm. Yeah, again, it was an intermediate challenge, I felt. It wasn't as good as the 121. It was smaller than the 121. But it does create an interesting point for the remake too, whether they introduce them in Birkin's lab or at least a a frozen one or a thawed out one, dead one on the floor. I'm not trying to be incredibly negative, but I don't think uh, there'll be any outbreak references in the 2 remake, unfortunately. That'd grind my gears if they didn't, but I would like to see a dead 125R Hunter in remake too but there we go yeah they were there was lots of them and i think it's quite an effective uh, mechanism in below freezing point wasn't it when you first go there there's quite a few of them all frozen and when you quickly realize that you've got to defrost the lab you're going i don't really want to defrost the lab i'm quite happy with it being this cold (laughs) but yeah i thought they were quite effective but they didn't present the challenge that the original did so what we'll do now, we'll talk about the Hunter 2s and its subspecies, the Sweeper. So this was interesting because these were directly created as a result of what Wesker had acquired from the Mansion incident, which was developed by the rival organisation. And the main improvement on the Hunter 2 was the fact that it would react to the drones that were sent into Rockford Island. And if you activated a drone, then the Hunter was programmed to come to where that drone was. Obviously a bit of a gameplay mechanism as well, but um, in terms of... BOW, I thought that was an extremely effective and clever as an actual weapon to be used in warfare. Mm. I was going to say, I think the Hunter 2s are probably the next most vicious version of the Hunters in the franchise as well, so those two things kind of work very well. They were tough, if I remember correctly. Yeah. They take a lot of damage and they can dish out a reasonable amount and they can do a decap, but not really an official decap because it was censored, but they can leap at you and kill you in one hit if you've mm. got any damage. I have had one of them ruin a no-save run on Code Veronica a couple God, times. That must take forever. Well, you get the one save in the middle, though. Yeah, the one save in the middle, yeah. Post oh, yeah. tyrant fight. But as I said, I think if you're thinking about it, its practical use in the long term, I think that would have been quite a good, uh, especially if you're kind of going a bit sleuthy with your war zone. You could set these drones up to monitor and almost act as like a security guard to an extent, which I thought was quite a cool play, a twist, if you like, on the uh, on, on the original and uh, and one that I think would, would actually have practical purposes in the, in the real world. At the same time, we also had the sweeper which I thought was actually more effective than the Hunter 2. It's officially categorised as a subspecies, although it's pretty identical in its official appearance in the artwork. It's just almost like a recoloured purple one. But actually the in-game model, and this is quite prevalent in Survivor 2, is notably different from the Hunter 2. It seems to have quite a thin face, and it was almost like elongated. So it looks a bit like a, almost like a hammerhead shark, I always thought. But the beauty of the sweeper was that if you were slashed by it, it had venom secreted onto its claws. So not only would you be, in theory, infected by maybe the virus, but you would also be poisoned by it as well, which I thought was, again, a practical application of a POW weapon. I always had theories that the venom would be secreted out of its skin, and then it ran down 
onto its claws as opposed to it kind of coming out of its claws like a snake. I don't think they were like glands. I just think it was just permanently secreting toxins. And so it was always covered in it. And of course, the sweeper acted as a first boss in Survivor 2, two of them. I can't even remember where you encountered the sweepers in Cobra Monica. The worst part for me is when Steve's in the plane and Claire's got to sort of take the long route back round and you take the cargo lift up to the front of the training facility and you come out in the front yard yes. where the mm. grave digger is. I think there's three of them there. Yeah. You have to run, trying to get through, you're more likely to get hit by one of them, depending on which way you take, because of course you hear them going thump, 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 and then jump. Yeah. And if they jump and catch up to you quickly, they can catch up to you quite quickly. Mm. But yeah, I think aesthetically there wasn't much difference to them, but certainly uh, a huge improvement over the one two one from a BOW point of view. And I'm not sure Umbrella ever got close to it. Well, that's why Umbrella scrapped it. But it took a couple of years later. I mean, it, what Co Veronica were talking, what, 1998? So in the space of what, between july and december 98 this rival corporation had improved the 121 quite significantly i know umbrella attempted a few more models but i think it's stated in dark side chronicles that because the hunter 2 and sweeper were so successful that umbrella basically scrapped the hunter program completely and tried to come up with the anubis as a successor yes they're the main, I suppose, more traditional ones. We then got a couple from Dead Aim. It was the next appearance by the Hunter, which was the Hunter Elite, which was considered the premium Hunter model, which was being sold by Umbrella in 2002 to the highest bidder. I thought they were shit, but they were big. They were the biggest ones. They were fast. They were fast and they were big, but they never decapped. They could always sort of like dash from side to side and almost like dodge your gunfire, couldn't they? If I'm remembering right. Yeah, there'll be always quite a few of them as well. Yeah, they'll be quite hard to dodge, wasn't they? But what's interesting is that because that was considered the Hunter Elite, but then afterwards we had the Hunter Delta, which was in Umbrella Chronicles. That always proved a bit of contention as to what they were because the only real official picture of the Hunter Delta comes in the prelude to the full comic because the hunters that appear in Umbrella's End are the same model to that of what's appeared in the Mansion Incident Zero and whatnot. But of course, they were different, as indicated in the um, the manga. We don't quite know what they actually did uh, and how they were different because they don't act any different in Umbrella's End than they do in the rest of the game. I think in the comic, they look slightly larger than a regular hunter. Right. And obviously, in the game, they've just used the MA121 Alpha model. Yeah, uh, so we can't really say much about the Delta, but it's interesting that the Delta came after the Elite, at least in terms of the game. They were stored in that hangar for God knows how long, so could have easily have come before. We just we don't know for sure. We no, we don't know. Going back to Dead Aim, we also had uh, the Glimmer, which was considered to be a um, a subspecies of the Hunter as well, which I'm presuming more of a subspecies of the Frogger. They were little assholes, just jumping around like little frogs. And they had an interesting tactic of spewing up on you, as opposed to necessarily attacking you in any meaningful manner. But they were considered as a failed BOW, which is why they are on Benthic Island in the first place. They just pissed me off. I don't know about you. But... <laughs> it's like, go away. And there's so many of them, wasn't there? There's quite a few. It was hard to get rid of them. Uh, right, that's that, Hunter. What's left? We've got Revelations, haven't we? The Farofellos, just um, the standard MA121 with the T-Abyss virus, which has just made it transparent, similar to deep-sea organisms, I think, to make it look invisible. I think that's the idea behind it. And it's a shame because, in theory, the invisibility thing should make it the most deadly. I felt in the game it had quite a big build-up and quite a good build-up when you're going around as Quentin, whatever his name is, and, you know, you don't know what's going on and there's a bit of a mystery about it. 
and you see the kind of CCTV and it's like, oh, what the hell? What the hell? You know, it had a good build. And then when you do encounter them, it's just mainly because of the game. It was just tedious, wasn't it? Yeah, it could have been a really good horror set piece, but it's just, you've got so much ammo at that point that it's just not a problem. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, they had that paused attack, didn't they? Where their claws are open and it's like, well, I'll shoot you now then, shall I? You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't particularly challenging. And they were a lot spikier, weren't they? And, and uh, as you said, and invisible. So um, a sad demise. And then finally, as Bats already mentioned, the Anubis BOW, which was supposed to be marketed as the successor to the Hunter program. These were kind of, they're more dog-like, weren't they? Which is why they got the Anubis name spindly little things that used to jump around. I'll be honest, I'd probably need to play Dark Side Chronicles again just to appreciate them more because the problem with, in those games is that you're just there to shoot and kill them, you know. You're not worried about your ammo necessarily and shoot them up. If it moves, you kill it type thing. Whereas I think in the in the actual normal games, you're a bit more appreciative of creatures like that. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll save my ammo, put them again. I think the idea behind that was it had all its internal organs removed so it was lighter and more agile. But the downside was it could be easily be killed because of it had no thick skin. Did the Jabberwock come from a Bandersnatch? With a T. Veronica virus, wasn't it? You're right, the um, Bandersnatch was a kind of failed tyrant program based on the T. virus and the Jabberwock S3 was based on the Bandersnatch but with the T. Veronica virus. Alright, cool. Any final thoughts on the Hunters? Overall success? Would like to see them return? To be honest, I can take them or leave them now because we've had them so often. They're definitely at the strongest with fixed camera angles, I think. Over-the-shoulder third-person just makes them too easy. Mm. So I'd imagine from a war point of view, quite a relatively successful BOW. Certainly the Hunter 2 would probably all agree was probably the most successful, and obviously in-game as well, if what you're saying is right with um, the abandonment of the Hunter program because the Hunter 2 was so successful then. Um, I'd imagine a fairly low cost. Um, Not as unethical as perhaps other BOWs. Mm. You know, (laughs) we're not exactly kidnapping children from Africa. We just want your embryos. So uh, not too bad, not too bad. And so, after ten long years, our research finally reached the third stage. To create a living biological weapon that was a soldier that would follow strict orders, obey its program, and have intelligence. It was the so-called tyrant, basically a monster that we sent out to create. However, there was a major obstruction to our research back then. Finding a basic body for Tyrant. The biggest problem was that suitable bodies for Tyrant were, at that time, genetically very limited. The source of the problem lay in the nature of the T-Virus. The T-Virus mutation used to create zombies and hunters could be used on just about any human, but it would also cause a decline in the subject's brain capacity. If the subject didn't have a certain amount of intelligence, then it couldn't function as a tyrant. Bergen tried solving the problem by picking out new mutagens that would keep down the wear and tear on the subject's brain, so long as the subject fit the tyrant profile. However, the number of people that had suitable genetics to accept the tyrant cells were very limited. In a genetic analysis simulation, it was found that only one in one million had the genetic makeup to become a tyrant. Any other person would merely become a regular zombie. If we could have continued with our research, then I'm sure we could have found a way to make a different type of T-virus that could change more people into tyrants. However, in order to do that research, we first needed people that were perfectly suitable for the new mutation. 
The odds of us being able to bring one of those few people living in America that fit the profile was extremely low. In the end, the only thing they were able to do was to, by force, bring a few close contenders in from other labs. Even before we had the chance to start our research, it seemed we had already hit an obstacle. At that time, I heard a rumor about another location in Europe where they had already reached the third level of producing a living biological weapon using a method that no one had thought of. It was known as the Nemesis Plan. In order to change the stagnant working pace and conditions, I took it upon myself to get a sample of one of the subjects from that plan. Of course, Birkin first disagreed with me. But in the end, I was able to get him to reconsider. Everyone had no choice but to recognize the fact that, until we found a suitable tyrant subject, our research wasn't going anywhere. The package from Europe came at midnight, several days later, after a series of broadcasts, proposals, and counterproposals. That box that contained it landed on the helicopter pad. It read, Nemesis Prototype. I had to use some very strong tactics to get the incomplete thing where it was being researched in France. But all the while, Spencer was backing me up, pulling all of his strings and using his influence. Only Bergen showed no interest in it until the end. But he at least recognized it as an important part of the experiment. The sample was developed to create a never-before-seen, totally new form. By manipulating genes, they had artificially created a living parasite. That was what Nemesis really was. It could latch onto another organism's brain, and then take control of the host's brain, bringing it a high level of destructive power. By combining intelligence with a destructive body suitable for battle, they were able to form the ultimate biological weapon. And if they could complete the project, then they would be capable of creating warlike bodies without having to worry about the intelligence issue. However, the problem was that the parasite containing it was not stable. The only thing written within the document that was attached to the sample was failure, sample died, over and over again. Anything that had been affected and whose intelligence was being controlled would die within five minutes. We all understood that messing around with the incomplete prototype was very dangerous. If we could only somehow manage to extend the amount of time that the hosts would live, then we could take control over the project. That was what I was aiming for. We will now switch our attention to the Tyrant program. It goes without saying that the Tyrant program has been the linchpin of the series when it comes to bosses. Um, and even non-Tyrant have always had a Tyrant-like feature, I'm thinking, Birkin, things like that. He, he, he's, not, you know, he's, he's not a Tyrant per se, but you can't help but compare the two. Now, this is interesting because Tyrants have, in my opinion, have changed enormously going back from the original. So the first actual tyrant that was developed was the proto-tyrant, or the T-001, which we see in Resident Evil Zero. And they all seem to suffer from the same problem. In firstly finding a host, and Batman will correct me on the numbers, it's one in 10 million? Yeah. Yes. Good. One in 10 million has 
compatible genes that upon injection of the T virus would not mutate into a zombie, but would mutate into something far stronger. Um, something that's been prevalent, of course, in the series throughout with um, thinking about Albert Wesker here and the, the Wesker children and whatnot. But yes, so the first one that was created in the Arclay Mountain facility, although not directly referred to, is implied that it is the prototyrant as opposed to the TW2. It had all the familiar traits of a fairly pale skin and, of course, the exposed heart, which certainly is the Achilles heel of all tyrants and continued to be right up until the introduction of the limiter coat. But even then, that didn't necessarily save it. The proto-tyrant, I think, was crap. It wasn't even, of course, the main boss in Resident Evil Zero. It didn't take a lot to kill it. Um, it wasn't a particularly intense boss fight. We'll scrap it. We'll scrap it. We'll go on to the TW2 because that's the first successful tyrant, I think. It was heralded as a masterpiece of human evolution uh, by Wesker, so much so that he was going to use it and the BOW data that he was going to acquire from it. I think he anticipated someone from Stars reaching the laboratory, um, and that was going to be his way into this rival organization that we have yet to hear anything about. This one, of course, was in the cryo tube, responded to programming, was able to specifically respond to a request to impale Wesker and then turn on someone else. It was very difficult to knock down. And of course, it had the function of being able to mutate, although the TW2 didn't really mutate that much comparatively to other tyrants. What did everyone think of the first tyrant? It was great. But again, I think it was more terrifying in the very first game than it was in the remake. I think I think the bit where it's just casually walking after you in the lab in remake it's too easy compared to the the same fight in the original game. The rooftop fight against him's far harder in the original because mm. he's just relentless. And of course it requires the famous rocket launcher to uh, dispose of. I mean I'm, I'm trying to think from a kind of warfare point of view this was obviously the model that was used and this was Umbrella's big project at this point in time but of course in the actual official timeline by that point they'd already discovered Sergei Vladimir and they no longer needed necessarily to find the needle in the haystack and the one in 10 million as they're able to clone Sergei 10 times. Because he was a compatible host, William yep. Birkin used the 10 clones of Sergei to engineer a new strain of the T-virus that practically allowed anybody to become a tyrant through artificial manipulation, which explains why we get so many. I see, because I, I liked the good old days of trying to work out which were the Sergei clones. Certainly the Ivans were, though, weren't they? Yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it, the Ivans? The fact the that tyrants. they're already established by the time the T-002 is finished, it kind of negates the O2 of all its Majesty in the timeline, really. I was going to say, you can put that down to the fact that they just stopped sharing information with the uh, American side of things, like because they become untrustworthy of Birkin and so forth, they kind of, it still fits the project. At Arkley, was pretty much had become pointless, you know? Well, I'm not sure though, because the T-103 was specifically improved as a result of the combat data of the T-002. Aren't Ivan's just modified T-103s? Maybe they're just waiting on that information. I, I don't know, maybe that was the final bit in the uh, process they were waiting for combat. I don't know. <laughs> I think they were both in development at the same time, but they weren't going to mass-produce the T-02 until it had its battle test with stars, but, and obviously because it was destroyed in the mansion, they just took that data and applied it to the T-103 instead. I think the Ivan models were early prototypes, and the T-103, the main difference between that and the T-02 was that it had an external power limit in the form of its trench coat, and it was meant to be like an infiltration thing, wasn't it? It was meant to look human mm. from a distance. Somewhat, anyway, yeah. <laughs> from a distance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except for when, yeah, smashing through walls and you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. 
I remember in my early youth, I refused to believe that Mr. X, as he was colloquially known, was really a tyrant because he didn't look like the tyrant from the first game. And I was like, it's not really a tyrant, is it? Because he is notably different, but obviously we see what happens. Now, this has always been a debate. If you lose the limiter coat, is that what caused him to mutate? Or was, did he mutate because he fell into the lava pit? Well, it's both. The lava burns the limiter coat off, yep. and then that mutation, I've always assumed, saves it from the lava. Yeah, that's how the power limiters work. If the tyrant's near death, it disengages its power limiter, which causes the T-virus to mutate again. And that's uh-huh. what turns them into a super tyrant. I've always loved that idea. It's all a bit silly with limiters to coats and stuff but it just mm. falls on the right side of working well it does doesn't it there's a, again that believable sciencey bit if you like behind it and of course would you go as far as saying that the super tyrant from resident evil 2 is possibly one of the most dangerous it's, oh yeah it's where i got the name from nick <laughs> that fight is a masterful set piece yeah, I remember pausing it because he, he comes out, you're like, right, I'm ready. By the time you think, what shall I do? He's on you. And you're already being slashed at 100 miles an hour. And if you're on full health, you're now down to caution or what, on low. You're like, oh, crap. You just don't have time to even think about what your strategy is going to be because it's, you're too late by then. And it made a mockery of the first tyrant. You didn't have a lot of space, did you, down in, in, in that area? And it was, you're right, it was a great set piece and a superb tyrant. And the, the music of it coming out of... Uh, it was good graphics at the time, though, as well, wasn't it? I mean, superb. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, because I, I never thought he, he put up much of a fight during the game in his Mr. X form. I always thought it was a bit of a disappointment. And then clearly they were saving it for this boss fight. And that took a hell out of a lot of you. Even though you've got a lot of ammo, it was um, it was a tricky Well, the, that was the thing. He wasn't supposed to be a fight. He was intimidating in the original form. You know, yes. The, they were saying, making the comment about smashing through the walls. You know, you knock him down in the press room and then he smashes back through and you're like, holy crap, he's back again already. Like, those little moments were quite good. And uh, there was good pacing on them too, though. We only used when that really matters. And as I said, it's all about the intimidation. And then to turn it around into that at the end, you're just like, wow, that was really impressive i mean it's again another one of those elements that made the second game so special the 103 was like that it was the first time you got to see a tyrant mass produced in the cutscene with the you know the helicopter dropping them all off the tanks yeah and um i thought this was one of the first times in the series with survivor you actually got to see the potential of like spin-offs because mm. You know, with Survival, we go to Sheena Island too, where they're all mass-produced. And I think one of the reasons why I've always got a bit of a kick out of Survivor is is seeing, like, the place where all this happens and just having an island full of Mr. X's that just turn up anywhere. Yeah. So obviously a catastrophe's befallen. Uh, I've always really enjoyed that element of it. And as we've talked about before, when we've talked about Survivor, just, like, also the creepy backstory as to how they're being produced as well like yeah. just adds that little bit of a sweetener to the already quite crazy situation it's just it is very good i mean let's be honest they weren't exactly challenging in survivor um, no they weren't um, <laughs> but that's limitations for like putting that in first person they kind of had to strike that balance i mean you know, i know we're, we're pretty anti-remake on it but to see survivor done there's some great ideas on it i know there's a is there one on like a coastal road you can take? yes love the and coastal, there's oh, yeah. a couple of mr x's walking along patrolling the path there and you know things like that could be really effective in a you know better produced title there's a great moment where you're in like a little confined alleyway and it's just walking straight towards you and there's literally no way you can go you have to put it down before it can reach you it starts really far away, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's just slowly yeah. walking towards you. It's really cool. I have a big soft spot for the Hypnos Tyrant. Yeah, um, that's great. I mean, first form was a bit shit. Second form was cool. Third form was 
mind-blowingly awesome. Again, they must have taken the nods, if you like, from uh, Resident Evil 2 and have this kind of build-up. But ha- to have three levels of mutation I thought was quite effective. So the, the Hypnos Tyrant was designed to be a smaller tyrant, designed, again, to mimic more human. And certainly the first form, Tyrant. Definitely more towards that line, yeah. Yeah, very human. He wasn't a very happy chap. He always looked a bit sad and full-on, bless him. But <laughs> what I always liked, though, was the, the amount of detail that the files weren't into as to how this particular tyrant was created with the beta heteronom serotonin mm. and the kind of Darwinism with regards to the genealogy of it to create a particularly fierce but humanoid hunter. I think it worked, doesn't it? Because you've got this human thing that had the fallback position of being able to become fierce if damaged. And by the time you get to the third mutation, you've got a kind of jumping tyrant beast thing again it's not difficult in survivor because of the way the game is and you know i think i've seen videos of someone just standing still and all he has to do is move left once because he'll always miss and then you shoot him that's not the point <laughs> he took a lot he took in fact a, a helicopter gunship to take him down so uh he did well he did well in my opinion played the part and it's a shame it wasn't really followed up especially in the new of resident evil like a kind of similar hypnos tyrant could have been used quite frequently as a kind of like mini uh, kind of boss type scenario but there we go um, so we zip back to Code Veronica, which introduced the, I don't want to say T078 because that's not right. Archives kind of correct us all on everything. This was a, a specialist mass produced model. So the same as the T103 that was deployed in Rockfort to be used as a training tyrant. And we just happened to encounter the, the 78th batch number. So there was always a bit of assumption it's a T078, but it's not. It's just the mass produced type, the 78th numbered model. What did everyone think of the Code Runner Katar? It was alright. I didn't like the, the gameplay mechanics where you have to run past where it makes its first appearance and you can knock it to the floor and if you try and get past it, it still swings out and hits you. You have to kill it properly. Well, that's good. I always found that particular piece of gameplay just a, quite awkward to do. But this was interesting because he, he um, this was a progression almost at the time because it didn't require the limiter coat. This was Nudie Tyrant that would roam around and he didn't mutate significantly he kind of had club-like hands didn't he but then the claws kind of came out and again it wasn't a f- end of game boss was he it wasn't too difficult on the plane i always dread that boss fight though even now if you've not got the bow gas rounds or the explosive arrow bolts you're, arrows. you're knackered yeah. yeah that's just the moment before you get the save point in it if you're doing a code veronica no save run and i actually got clipped and launched out the plane on oh, did mine. You? <laughs> it was half i was half uh... All that backtracking. That's so painful. Well, you have to start the disc from the beginning, Nick. That's it. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's a special place in everyone's heart than the code. (laughs) Reasonably decent decent design behind it, though. It looked good. Yes, it did look particularly good. Just bad gameplay design, that's all. What we haven't touched upon is Nemesis. The T-103 injected with the Nemesis Any Alpha Parasite, which took the Tyrant to a whole new level. Certainly improved upon the intimidating factor, should we say, of the T-103. And obviously they based the entire game around it, so it has to be uh, has to be fairly yeah. successful. <laughs> it still has the limiter coat. Mutations were a bit more controlled, and for, certainly the second mutation of Nemesis was easily the, the hardest, I thought, where its tentacles become even longer and it could kind of play kickabout with you. But, um, I love the Nemesis. Yeah. I thought it's iconic. It's the first BAW to be able to speak I think at that point in time, you can't just beat the, the end of Resident Evil 3. As cheesy as it is, where she picks up the Magnum. <laughs> just, 
Oh, I've always wanted to know if the whole reason why they wanted it to speak was just so they could use that line. <laughs> you know, the writers is like, oh, I've got this great, I want that action scene kiss off line. I really want it, and I want it to be topical. So it's going to be this, but in order to make it happen, I've got to have the nemesis go around going stars. Then it'll totally play, guarantee. <laughs> But you've got to give the Nemesis credit. What a B.A.W. in terms of its actual ability to be programmed in to only really hunt down specific targets was pretty impressive. And its regenerative ability was equally as um, impressive. Its mutations were fairly contained. And even after being pulverized by the rail cannon, it still wasn't dead. It was able to use nutrients and tissue of dead T-103s to improve upon itself and still try and carry out its mission to the very end. What a hero. The element of the fact that it can inject direct T-virus injections into its targets as well. From a distance right. as well. From a distance as well is. is another big bonus for its goals. And who would have thought that would have become a plot point in a future game? A masterful. <laughs> it was, it really was. Um, there was talk whether it was a separate virus, but I think that was a mistranslation, the NET virus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it's in the Western translation of 3, isn't it? But it was only ever meant to be the T virus, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. NET virus, was it? Yes. A nemesis type. And again, they've never been able to do the nemesis justice afterwards, have they? Uh, it appeared in Survivor 2, less said about that, better. And obviously it appeared in Umbrella Chronicles, but they've never been able to get the voice right again. No. Without it sounding well, like it's constipated. They've also had this issue whether or not it's got a robotic overlay or if it's a <laughs> thanks, Paul Anderson. Um, yeah. That, that's I mean, the thing, yeah, that clearly inspired. Program. Oh, it's, it's robotic. It's got a chip in its head or something. Oh, it is dubious how it's able to use weapons and things like that. It wouldn't have been so bad if it was just like wielding a big heavy club or something, but the fact that it knows how to operate a rocket launcher, aim it and fire it is dubious at best. We're treading into SD Perry territory, aren't we? Yeah, um, I think it gets all the more ridiculous, like Paul Anderson allowed him to wield a minigun target specific targets not just the main target that it's looking for but like anything that gets its way and then it zooms in on the target yeah the (laughs) rocket launcher it it just about gets away with it i think because it can blindly aim it in a general direction and it causes mass damage i can kind of yeah i I agree when it's properly thinking for itself like taking out helicopters that's going to allow jill to escape is it's a bit more it's just oh, pretty vague, it's intelligence, oh, yeah. sort of. It's intelligence is never really looked into in any sort of... Because a parasite just means it's got a basic form of control, doesn't it? But in terms of actually being issued instructions or... The nemesis is dubious, but it gets around it by just strong design in mm. terms of it from a gameplay point of view. Yeah. Wasn't there extra information in the Umbrella Chronicles novel, the Nemesis? Yeah, it had a remote camera strapped on it so Wesker could see what it was doing. I think there was some possibility Wesker could send it commands as well, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It was awful. Uh, moving on, other turrets we see are the TG virus turrets in Dead Aim. A bit of hit and miss with that. The first one was pretty poor. TO-91 model, which was... Presumably the 91st model to have been tested with the TG virus, we can only assume. Umbrella, having seen the success of the G virus, decided, you know what would be really good? If we could randomly bring electricity into this, who knows why. I didn't see any any electrical properties in William Birkin, but there you go. T091 was a complete failure in that sense. It acted as a very poor, slow, tentacle-ridden tyrant that didn't put up any form of fight in dead aim didn't generate the electromagnetic current which is what they wanted 
Which is what they want exactly. So it's a total flay. I don't know why. That's even why was it even on? It was part of the auction, wasn't it, to showcase that they were making tyrants with this new virus. Right. And then, of course, we have Morpheus injecting himself and becoming TO-92, which, for reasons we can only assume to do with his genetics, he became uh, a female tyrant, but a successful tyrant at that, being able to generate his own electromagnetic field, which effectively made him invulnerable to standard gunfire. You have to say, you've got to go a long way to find a better tyrant than Morpheus as a product. He could think independently, he could talk, he was impervious to bullets he retained quite a lot of his humanity and in his world he was still a thing of beauty which of course was a running theme with dead aim surely a contender for best bow in the series mm. yeah <laughs> not convinced different themes you never really get to see what doing battle against it without the charge particle rifle would be that's true that's true. And of course, at all times, we have a fairly unstable G-virus, which in the case of Morpheus, if you look at the cutscene very carefully, again, this would benefit from an HD remake, he actually gets the size of the island. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it just keeps growing and you can't control it. The form he is at the end is, you can tell, as a G-virus getting out of control in the system. Yes, I like that callback to um, the G5 model, if you like, of Birkin. I thought that was quite a nice and nice nod. So that's always his Achilles heel, I think, the uh, having the G-virus element contained. There is another tyrant from Damnation, an as-of-yet unnamed tyrant, clearly based on T-103, but man, what a tyrant. I think it's safe to say this is um, the tyrant perfected. That's a big call. In terms of just how they are depicted in Damnation, I think um, it's the most awesome display of power from a monster in the entire series. Mm -hmm. When they're chasing Leon down, it's it's just impressively good. And I think it's now reached a point of intelligence where it can self-pop its limiter. Because I seem to remember it does it on its own, doesn't it? It doesn't receive too much damage because that's what the tubes are into it isn't it it can actually decide itself when to go nova if you like go nova (laughs) yeah and very similar to this just a standard tyrant really wasn't it the super tyrant from resident evil 2 just in a very perfected much bigger as well they've managed to increase the size like when it starts like running the sense of momentum they put in the movie feels just it's awesome it's a really like, Damnation's not one of my favourite chapters, but when they turn up, I feel the film elevates quite a few steps. Yes, and it was great to see it in Warfare as well, which we've never seen before. The only thing that lets that sequence down is a truly invincible Leon. <laughs> standard. It has become standard. And why everyone was kind of, Well, not everyone, but a large number of people were like, yay, when we had a non-superhero protagonist in seven. In terms of tyrants, I can't imagine them ever turning up again now. I think that would probably be it. Do you think that's it? Unless they do like a throwback game, obviously they'll be in the remake. But in terms of the timeline and the canon, because I mean, I, I can't remember how, how do you pronounce her name? Svetla? Svetlana. Did she get them off the black market? I think that's the only reason you would continue to see them is that same kind of, they were being traded around on the black market kind of deals. But do you ever find out who supplies them to or anything? Is there any other supplement material? It just says it's a joint project with a, an unknown organisation. No. There you go. I happen to think, though, that the Tyrant program, in terms of Capcom, has been replaced by whatever he's called from Resident Evil 6 and whatever it is in Vendetta. That type of Tyrant type thing. Houston Act, there you go. That's the replacement Tyrant now, isn't it? It's, it's Tyrant all but name, but it, it doesn't have that organic feel to it much anymore, does it? Especially when he's swinging like a bloody baboon on helicopters. You're like, what the f- <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it's just not cricket, is it? And it, oh, I don't know. I suppose the tyrant from Vendetta redeemed itself because it kind of looked a bit like Ushtanak or uh, Ushtanak and Bane. It, again, it undid its limiter belt or whatever it's connecting to it and then consumed the old uh, businessman and became quite a typical looking tyrant, at least, albeit with um, uh, Anderson-inspired claws. Universal acceptance from the podcast then that the, that the damnation tyrants are probably the most effective? Yeah. Yeah, also Leon. the nemesis, Leon. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was going to say Leon only survives because of a very chance airstrike. Mm. Yeah, I mean the nemesis are pretty close second, and it does have its tactical advantages for specific targets. Let's be honest. Mm. If you're going after a specific target, then a nemesis is obviously very useful. So they'll definitely be the top two. Top two, yeah, I think I would agree. Right, we've looked at the two main families of BOWs that have existed in um, the Resident Evil series. We now turn over to your wonderful comments on Facebook. I've been very pleased when I've opened the floor up to the field. We asked you guys what was your favourite BOW, what do you think is the most effective BOW, least effective, and um, any other comments about particular BOWs. So I'm just going to kind of read out some of the comments that have been put forward. So we'll start with Nathan Van Ranken. He makes the uh, rather interesting point that the SD Perry BOWs are probably the most effective. Sean, what did you think about that? Did someone remind me of these? The tri-squads. Oh, yeah, they're amazing, aren't they? Um, (laughs) Military units of zombies that can wield machine guns, I seem to remember. It's like the extension of the bub. That was uh, the death of the SD. You know, if Trent didn't push me to breaking point, the tri-squad certainly ended it. Can I say that, apart from the tri-squad, there's, there's a lot of, if I can remember correctly, there's quite a good selection of BOWs in Calbian Co. Calabanco. I think there was, there was um, it's another underwater one. Wasn't there a dinosaur tyrant in one of her books as well, in Underworld? Oh, that's where it came from. <laughs> Resident Evil 6 gets inspired by Underworld. I can't remember. Probably not the best person to ask, but there we go. So, yeah, thank you, you the novel guy. Yeah, you are, no, the, best, you are no. the best person to ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whiskers I blood. I'm sorry. I'm still thinking. <laughs> Great. So, yes, thanks, Nathan, for that. Um, I can't disagree with him. I can't remember. He might be completely right. Maybe there is some real original ones in there that are probably the best. I can't even remember. I do remember that. I think he's right, actually, from a... Uh, but he, he, he caveats that by saying it's a parallel world. So I replied, don't stoke the hornet's nest. So there we go. <laughs> um, so James Joseph Hollerfield Steedman, that's a very lengthy name. Uh, his favourite BOWs were the Hunters from the original game, and I think we've covered that quite well. Uh, certainly it's the best Hunter. Uh, not even the remake emulated the creepiness of the sounds they made. Absolutely. In terms of his favourite, the new ones, um, Evelyn from Resident Evil 7. Uh, a highly effective B.O.W. Mm. Quite an odd B.O.W. in that sense. The, the moulded were very much a side effect, weren't they? She didn't have a lot of control over the moulder. They just kind of like no, she, dripped off her. She controlled them. Did she control them? In the same way the, the leeches were controlled by Marcus. Ah, there we go. I missed that point. Just without the singing. <laughs> Did she intentionally create it? I, I wasn't. Yeah, I think so. But the DLC will hopefully answer that because obviously there is Molded who can wander around doing their own thing without her influence as well. So. Mm. And then a set up, yeah, for the game as post um, who demise. Yeah, and of course Evelyn has this weird ability of making people want to be with her, part of the whole kind of family connection, which uh, I suppose is a bit of a defect in the actual programming, which is referred to when you're on the ship section, aren't you? But um, that could be improved upon going forward. And uh, a very a tragic story, though. Yeah. Mm. It's good, it's good. So he's also said uh, the plant, the poison ivies were annoying. They, they were crap, weren't they? <laughs> they were terrible BOWs, the ivy. I'd agree with that. 
and the sewer bugs from Resident Evil 2 were pretty poor as well. But they're more secondary infections. Secondary infections, yeah. Yeah. They I, I are annoying. They are annoying. Especially, yeah, with Sherry, it's, um, dear God, you can get killed very easily. Actually, that killed one of my no-save runs too once. The most annoying, uh, I'll put my pitch in, is the moths from Code Veronica in the ice mm. pit. Oh, my God. Lava on your back. Oh, honestly, the, the number of times I just, I hated it. It was annoying to the point. As you say, just keep coming back. There's something we haven't touched upon, and, and Thomas Fisher here has uh, commented that the Plagath generally as a BOW was uh, certainly an effective BOW. The fact that it could be manipulated in so many ways, not to my liking, because I don't like the lack of explanation with El Gigante, Salazar, Sadler to an extent. You don't really know in, in how, DC, why. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, how did you create El Gigante? You know, and that's always been an argument of mine that post Resident Evil 4, they just couldn't be bothered with the BOWs. They made a design and said, that's good. There's nothing wrong with the El Gigante, but they could have said, we got a particularly large Spanish person. And, you know, <laughs> what a, compare El Gigante to Pluto. Both of them are equally ridiculous. Pluto from Dead Aim, you know, he's a wander around, kind of full blown. You're like, okay, he's. Stupid thing, but you know they went to the effort in Dead Aim of putting a decent file in to know how and why he was created to see how the T virus would react if particular senses were distorted or removed. Pluto's file is one of the more horrific in the series. Absolutely, mm. razor his eyes out while he's still conscious, don't they? And... Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's still ridiculous how Pluto ended up. You know, but there was that slight degree of plausibility. El Gigante, there's no reason. It's just, you well, know, this is, this, someone's obviously this is a fan of Tolkien. Yeah. But this is the same thing with the C-virus as well and sexist thing. The variety of mutations and the size and the strength is just so variable. It's just like, obviously from a gameplay and design development, I mean it's just adding more creativity and variety but again, the context isn't really there. And very. what makes it annoying, especially in Resident Evil 6, is there's some really good ideas um, mm. and different designs. I like the, the one that gives off the gas and then that causes the infection. That was cool. He was a good one. But again, you know, uh, the snake one, I'll let him have that. That was fine. But as you said, there's so many different... What about the invisible bug things? I mean, how on earth is that related to, you know, the other C-virus creations? I haven't got a clue. I'll tell you what does get a rough ride, though. In terms of practicality and human biological weapons, you'd have to say the Juavo is pretty close to being perfect. Because... They're intelligent, they can communicate, they will follow orders. Which get there's a team, yeah. They will conceal their mutations with masks, they're trained in martial arts and firearms, and obviously they can regenerate when injured. So mm-hmm. even compared to the tyrants, obviously they're not as strong. But they enforce in numbers. And they've obviously got added strength and abilities, and yeah, yeah I do agree with that. That's actually a valid point. They're a big improvement on the Magini and the mm. Ganado. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely, I'd, I'd agree with that entirely. Um, the so the mutations in that in that game. Yeah, it did really extreme. Think. They're all over the place. So uh, Thomas Fisher also said the plants seem to be a, a least effective BOW. Uh, he says just a little fire and they're done for. Yeah, absolutely. Or they're not very movable or mm. quite, <laughs> quite why um, the sacred snakes wanted a plant with human DNA and the uh, IV X and Y. I have no idea. Thomas Fisher, you have uh, embarrassed me. The best design for a BOW is the Tyrant R, which we completely forgot about, gentlemen. I know it's not much different from the uh, standard 103, but it showed a bit of improvement with its programming for the uh, MO disc, didn't it? The program through that, mm. which I liked. 
And of course, the Super Tyrant of it was particularly difficult as well, very much in the same mould as the standard 103. And it connected quite nicely to Death's Door as well, being the same Tyrant, before anyone says otherwise, from Outbreak. It is, it clearly is. It's the same place, the same point. As I said, it's the same thing we've talked about with Raccoon City. It's like the least number of larger bioorganic weapons running around the city, the better, really. Who remembers that debate? I remember that debate. That was a stupid... (laughs) (laughs) In the Umbrella Chronicles guidebook, it's literally called the Outbreak Tyrant, so I don't think you can get any more definitive than that. Uh, Ashan Asim says the Nemesis and Regenerators are favourite POWs. Now, the Regenerators were probably the highlight of Resident Evil 4 in terms of POWs. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, was it Verdago, Verdugo? The left hand. Is yes. that the right hand? Those are the main, my two favourite highlights. If you look closely yeah. at them, they are literally a cross between a xenomorph and a predator. Yeah. Yeah. What I liked about the regenerators was their kind of... <laughs> that kind of weird noise they would make. I actually thought they were scarier than the Iron Maidens. I wasn't a big fan of the Iron Maidens, but I thought the Regenerators were just far better and creepier, even though the Iron Maidens are very similar. We've got disappointing designs from Ashna, the Eliminators from Resident Evil Zero. But I think that's the point. I think they're supposed to be crap. They're just like test subjects. I feel like that's the whole point yeah. there. You'd go and your animal research, you know, they had caged monkeys and apes. That's surprising, actually, thinking about it now. There's never been, like, a mutated rabbit. It's <laughs> like a pharmaceutical... Like, I'm not saying this facetiously, like, pharmaceutical companies and, like, animal testing, it's, like, quite often rabbits. And, like, yeah, Umbrella Corporation, no, we don't do it by hearts. We do it always on humans. <laughs> yeah. Colin Evo, one awesome surname, uh, it says the original Resident Evil Tyrant was his favourite, and the Gun Survivor one, getting a nice nod there, I absolutely agreed. Mikey Moat, uh, the original Hunters still make me anxious, totally sympathise with that. You can never underestimate or get lazy with them. We're in complete agreement, complete agreement. And then he's got on the liquor, we haven't really touched on the liquor, liquor is his favourite and um, looks really visceral, is visually an easy link to humans, absolutely, that's a really good point, but with that elongated tongue. It reminds him of the xenomorphs from Aliens as well. Makes sense, so the crawling over ceilings and quickly talk about the liquor they've had some evolution over the years you've got the main ones liquors are created through a, a normal zombie becoming dehydrated basically and mutating again it's secondary infection it's similar to the viac thing but instead of creating crimson heads it turns them into liquors yeah it was an accidental we... mutation at first because a specimen was captured because they thought it was some kind of wild mutated tyrant and following experimentation and seeing how good it was they decided to weaponize it i was gonna say much like the hunters i think the original version of them in two is still the best version absolutely the the versions beyond that i didn't particularly like the half formed version in outbreak and the ones in the later games are just was nice to have them come back but they were just bullet sponges basically yeah the outbreak ones are interesting because they're notably and perhaps intentionally smaller and then you've got suspended um, which is obviously the halfway house. It's almost halfway. as if you've got that mutation, but then halfway uh, th- th- through, yeah. There was a suggestion that from Outbreak were escaped ones as opposed to wild ones, because it's so early on, remember as well, isn't it? Because don't you see the liquors in Hellfire? Yeah, I think the history behind them is, is similar to the Crimson Head. It all started with them finding one abnormal subject and they studied it, and then manipulated the virus so it created many more of them so they're not all wild in raccoon city they're all purposefully created but that's, yeah that's how it's done wild yeah yeah but i think the suspended isn't the halfway house as much as it's just a, a random irregular mutation yeah, yeah. Uh, okay okay uh mikey also says uh, least favorite is the weird crab thing the u8 from resident evil 5 yeah i don't like that 
Yeah, I can help. <laughs> I like the continuity <laughs> between that and the U3 and 4, but that's it. Emmanuel Morales, favourite the Regenerators. Absolutely. Uh, most effective, Evelyn, which we've, we've kind of touched upon there. Least effective goes to Plants. Oh, oh, we're terrible. We should really be doing this podcast again. The best design goes to Talos, which, of course, is another turret we have forgotten. Sorry. Or Lisa Trevor. Well, the Talos is worth forgetting, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's got lasers coming out of his fucking hands. Lasers. But at, least, <laughs> at least you get BOW data from it, though. How many Chinook helicopters it took down or whatever it did. <laughs> Oh dear. That, yeah, that was a disappointing tyrant, I think. How do we class Lisa Trevor? I didn't class her as a bioorganic weaver. I class yeah. her as a, something completely different. She's an experiment, but she wasn't an experiment with that team. Yeah. A plaything. So there's a difference between her and, say, Evelyn. We only know the experimentation backstory. We don't know anything specific about anything beyond the experimentation stuff. There's nothing about her history beforehand, is there? No. Remind me if I'm incorrect. No. Whereas Lisa Trevor, obviously, we know a tragic backstory beforehand, which makes another difference. Mm. Obviously, the outcome was exceptionally great for Umbrella's research, but it wasn't ever intended that way. Mm. No, I suppose not. No, she's a yeah, a walking lab herself, I suppose. Most disappointing for Emmanuel was the moulded. I can still understand I can... that. We've discussed this that the variety and limitations in some respects were that some people were disappointed with that. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I've said on the, the Resident Evil 7 one, there's much scarier frightening designs in the concept art than the sort of shambling mm. humanoids that turn up in the game. There's some really, really freakily, almost spider-like ones in the concept art, so it would have been nice to have seen them use them for a bit more variety. And obviously they had this conversation about them having a, the dog and the family being infected like the bakers themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Started not to go down. It does look a bit disappointing that in um, Not a Hero, it just looks like you're just going to get more variations of essentially the same thing. A big fat explodey one and a... Yeah. And we might get the spider one, you don't know. They might have hidden it from us. All of a sudden they, they add those ones in. There oh, we no. go. Stars Tyrant criticising Resident Evil 7. You heard it here first. I can only apologise, um, everyone. Stop uh, being so negative. Fucking hell. Yeah, stop it. Stop being so negative. Uh, Craig Gordon, former Scotland and Sunderland goalkeeper, has said his personal <laughs> favourites are uh, the Hunter R's and the Anubis, just from the design point of view. That's interesting because we've specifically talked about that, and I think we agree entirely. The Hunter R's did look quite cool, and uh, Batman, you spoke about the Anubis being um, that kind of spindly, no-organ BOW, which is quite cool. Uh, he says the most effective is the Nemesis, or, oh yes, quite right, the Trash Sweepers from Survivor. You've got to go a long way again to say why they're not effective. They were very good. Uh, he says, trash sweepers are able to wipe out evidence, set off self-destruct sequences, evaporate when they die. Yeah, they, they were a nonsense. He also supports the Hypnos Tyrant, as it could infiltrate enemy territory disguised as a normal human being before mutating and causing havoc. Absolutely, spot on. Had the E-series been successful, that would have been pretty useful in uh, combat situations as well. And yeah, uh, there's Craig Gordon, come on our podcast, he's very much in our line. The modified T-103s from Damnation seemed insanely strong as well, as they did. And he's also mentioned about spreading the viruses, depends on the environment. The South America uh, environment from um, Darkseid Chronicles was especially useful for T and T-Veronica spreading. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, Gustavo Doria Costa, another person who's gone for Evelyn, is the most effective BOW. Getting a lot of love is uh, old E series here. Best design, he's a Hunter fan, quite rightly. It's a classic design, still terrifying to this day. Thank you for that. <laughs> Matthew West, Wesker from the last live action movie. 
I've not seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Is this based? Is this based? He says, just for the funnies, Wesker from the last live action movie, I'll await the gunshots and brains being blown out. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really do a lot in the last movie. Fill us in, Rompy. He was more effective in the previous movies. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. That's made our evening. Stephen M. Totten. He's a liquor nemesis and tyrant fan, so he, his dreams have been covered in this podcast. We've covered them in quite a lot of detail. Fabulous. Michael Alishum, who's a very frequent commenter on the Facebook page. Best BOWs, everything from uh, Resident Evil Survivor. Good lad. And one to three as well. I do like Survivor. I, li- I like the fact that it basically is like all first person shoot em ups, like House of Dead, just has everything. I was, was going to ask can someone remind me the Gravedigger in three? Is that a secondary infectant or a bioorganic weapon? Secondary infectant. The BOW is the gulp worm from Cobronico. Okay, cool. I think the Gravedigger feasted off some stuff from the Dead Factory. The graveyard yep. or something. Yeah, they made the sliders. Alex cool. Graham has said Mr. X all the way as the effective, the worst. He's gone El Gigante. Mm. It's just a giant thing. And it's the same with Nadesu in 5. Isn't it? Yeah, by extension, I would say Nadesu is even worse. Yeah. Welsh Blessed has asked us to go into detail about Lisa Trevor. So there we go. <laughs> Good old Welsh. Well, again, uh, I, as I said, like Lisa Trevor, we wouldn't probably have a large amount of what's in the series without Lisa Trevor, let's be honest, as far as content goes. But again, not really a biogenic weapon, just kind of an unfortunate victim. Yes. Because they even tried to kill her off, didn't they? And they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So they just locked her up. They forgot. All they needed was a uh, expensive chandelier. Uh, the, the old adversary to all known G-Virus creatures, the chandelier. And her mum's skull. Yeah. <laughs> the liquors become weaponized and used as a BOW in five, don't they? Yes, Discuss- yeah. Essentially what um Batman was saying was that they obviously had been an accident then researched and so yeah. even by Resident Evil Two standards they were already kind of weaponized. Well you had the evolved liquors, didn't you? They were the bigger oh, ones, yeah. the darker coloured ones. The thing is, to me, the general rule of thumb, the more I keep thinking about what we've been talking about, is tyrants aside, most of Umbrella's tinkering with its creations only makes them worse. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Like the more they tinker with it, the worse it gets. Yes, but don't mess with the '80s hunters. They were they're they the prime. Everything else has failed since. But can't you apply that to life? There, well, <laughs> that's deep for this time of evening. That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, honourable mentions, I'm going to put the hat in, of course, to the Neptune Bureau, don't be. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. What a stupid idea. I'm a great white shark. <laughs> it survived longer than you think. The Neptune was a superb BOW. It randomly appeared in Outbreak File 2. And then Umbrella obviously saw value in it and wanted to keep it in its Russian base. So, an honourable mention for Neptune. But, of course, I have that with my bias glasses on. I was going to say, it was pretty lame in the original, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Pour cold water over there. There we go. Fine. Yeah, certainly. Uh, honorable mention also to Nautilus and Torpedo Kid. If you thought Neptune was bad without water, yeah, <laughs> I at least gave you the fact that Neptune is a shark and is, is inherently threatening, and then just oversized is even more threatening. And Nautilus is just a sea sponge. Randomly protrudes torpedoes that have heads on them. Rather easy to kill in Revelations too, but the revenants are pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The Reapers in Resident Evil 5 were bloody hard. They were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are. They wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for that um, insta-death thing they can do. Mm. A lot of the BOWs from Revelations 2 were particularly cool. I liked a lot of the designs. There you go with another tyrant, blimey. Yeah. Neil Fisher becomes a oh, sort of, of tyrant that has the abilities of Ouroboros. Yes, of course. Yeah. Jesus. Terrible. Fire us all, fire us all. <laughs> <laughs> so many tyrants and tyrant variants were just... 
trying to figure out them all. But that's probably a good thing. Like, it just means that the ones that stick out stand out more and the ones that haven't. Yeah. That said, though, I really did like that Neil Fisher fight in Rev 2. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. I'd say another honourable mention goes to Raccoon City Zoo. Um, that's grief, Nick. The hyenas, the hornbills, the <laughs> Rastafella plant. Well, they're uh, all secondary infectants, though, aren't they? They're not... I know. I will say this, right? Here's a moment for everybody involved. The one thing... Operation Raccoon City gets right is the Mr. X's. There you go. Do they? Yeah, they're, they're actually not bad. Are they not they're, bad? They're reasonable I... boss battles in a terrible I... game. Yeah, the, the Nemesis beater in Operation Raccoon City as well. Yes. Uh, Anyone else for Birkin? Good honourable mention. Fantastic. And all the dog-based BLWs are generally quite successful, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Ferocious. Across the board. Hard to target. Ferocious. Mm. Well, thank you everyone for your comments. Um, I think it's been quite a, quite a successful discussion. There's been a good podcast, but we've missed out half the game series. So, didn't write any notes. Feels like we just have to come back and do a, a second, a, a direct cut version of it where we insert some <laughs> in a slightly different voice. Oh dear. Uh, the audio clips we've used here come from DC Douglas himself, and he recorded exclusively for Resident Evil Database, so thank you m- very much, guys, for uh, these recordings which, we- which we've used on the podcast today. Thanks. On that note, we will uh, finish our podcast session and move on to this edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New season. Welcome, welcome. Uh, it shouldn't take too long, this one. This is a BOW special. Prepared five questions. I will caveat question one. There could be more than one answers here, so um, you may have free reign on them. But if everyone can clear their desktop, we can open up Notepad. Let's start with question number one. Name a T-virus mutant that has been both a BOW and a secondary infectant. Mm. Same creature that's been a BOW and a secondary infectant. I could only think of one. But there could be more that I've forgotten, so there we go. Question number two. Is true or false? Is it true or is it false? The giant spider BOW in Resident Evil Zero was a BOW. Is that true or is it false? And I use the term BOW in the first part of the sentence just as a, a colloquial term for the fact that you're facing a giant spider bioorganic weapon. But was it an intentional BOW or was it a secondary effect? So is it true or false? The giant spider was a BOW. Mm. That caused some debate. 
back in the day. Archives, translation, all that. Question number three. What was the name of the snake B.O.W. in Resident Evil 6? Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. I was just ready to type yawn there, thinking yeah. I've got him. <laughs> Oh there we go. Uh, question number four. What was the name of the BOW composed of human bodies and revenant corpses? Oh, damn it. Mm. <laughs> this is another criticism of the recent games. There's been too many BOW names, and trying to remember them all is such an art. Because often they use really bizarre names, don't they? They do, they do. And finally, question number four. Five, name all types of spider BOWs and secondary infectants we have seen in the series, not including baby versions. Can you repeat that? Yeah, so name all types of the spider BOWs and secondary infectants we've seen in the series, not including baby spiders. see how well everyone has done so question number one was name a t-virus mutant that has been both a bow and a secondary infectant batman i'll say dogs because you've got the cerberus which was a bow and the zombie dog which was a secondary infectant okay rombi i went with the liquor because as we were talking about there was secondary infectant people and also then they started turning into biogenic research and so so I had the liquor because of the fact that it was originally a secondary infectant, then became VOW. Very good. Points for all. Yes, very good. I had Cerberus and Zombie Dog, but yeah, the liquor one was absolutely spot on as well. Two types there. So, uh, well done, yes. That's exactly what I meant. Zombie Dog are not Cerberus BOWs. And of course, you get the Zombie Dog from uh, 4D Executor, which is a different type of dog. So then, yeah. Right, so that's points for all. Good start, gentlemen. Good start. Question number two was true or false? The giant spider BOW in Resident Evil Zero was a BOW. Is that true or is that false? Stars turn. I can't remember the outcry of all this, so I'm just going to go for 50-50 and false. Rombi? Uh, I have no idea because I don't know what this was either, but I'm just going to go 50-50, but I'm going to say true. So. Batman? I'm going to say true, because surely that led to the web spinner, which is a B.O.W. It's true. It is a B.O.W. So points to Batman and Rob, yes. Question number three, what was the name of the snake B.O.W. in Resident Evil 6? Batman, did you get this one? It begins with I, doesn't it? It's Izzy Jana or something. Elysiana, something like that. Izzy is a you? Izzy... I can't pronounce it. It's something like is Izualia or something. Something like that. Okay. Stars? No idea. No idea. Rombi? No idea. I'm sure, regardless of pronunciation, Batman's correct. What was your answer, though? Oh, I have no, I honestly have nothing. I, <laughs> there were so many random names in there. I'm just saying, I'm sure he's right. Uh, yes, yes. Illusia. Close enough. There we go. Yes, correct. Illusia. But yes, a stupid snake. Question number four. What was the name of the BOW composed of human bodies and revenant corpses? This is from Revelations 2. Uh, Stars Tyrant, did you know? I can't even remember the BOW. I can't even remember it. Remember this. No. The thing made of corpses. Yes. 
Yeah, no, 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 and it comes in, and it's like got corpses surrounding the glowing orb, and it's got like a big hook thing. I've only played through the game once, so I, I really can't remember it. Yeah, well, there you go. Finally, uh, Batman on for a full house here. Question number five. Name all types of spider BOWs and secondary infectants we've seen, not including baby variants. <sighs> this is good. Right, we'll start with Romby. I don't think I'm going to have all of them. Ones I can think of, Black Tiger, Web Spinner, Black Widow... And obviously there was a bigger version of that. And that was about it. Oh, and then there's just obviously the regular giant spiders, but I'm not sure if there's any others. I'm probably missing some others. Okay, uh, that's four you put there then. Stars turn. Uh, I had Web Spinner, Black Tiger, and Black Widow. I thought they just used the same name for Code Veronica. Rombie's made me think they're now a separate thing. I feel like I'm cheating if I put that down as two separate things. I just literally typed Tiger Forward slash Widow and U8 from R. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't think of that one. There you go. Okay, so that's for uh, Batman. Can you improve on that? I had the giant spider, the web spinner, black tiger, black widow, and the jumping man eater from Darkseid. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> I told you, there's always something I forget. This is like the same thing we were talking about not playing Rev 2. I played literally through Darkseid Chronicles once. I can't remember that there were spiders in them, and even if there was spiders, I can't even remember what the hell they were called. It doesn't surprise me at all that they're in there. They're right at the beginning. Yeah, I have no recollection of that at all. I'm uh, just checking, because you might get a point on U8. Is it a spider? It probably isn't. I think it's more like a crab, isn't it? With the way the pincers are. Yeah. Kind of like a crab spider. Spider crab. Good guess, though. Batman may get the points, but he doesn't quite get the points. Uh, the answers are giant spider, B-O-W. Giant spider's secondary infectants from Resident Evil 2 and 3. Black Widow, Jumping Man Eater, Web Spitter, and the Black Tiger Spider. So which way around is it? Which is the Tiger and which is the Widow? Black Tiger's the, the big, black tiger big one in Remake. Large Black Widow is the one in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, underneath the ice. Yeah, because there's the regular spider and then yeah. the giant. Right, okay. Yeah. Batman got the most. He forgot the giant spiders for secondary infectants. So Batman got five out of the six. Uh, so it does get the point. So very good. So let's have a look at those final scores. Batman with a full house and our winner this time with five out of five. Well done, Batman. Stars with a solitary one point. Rombi, three points. Well done. Not too bad, not too shabby. That finishes our quiz for this week. Join us next time and we'll have some more questions. Thank you all very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. A bit of a different one, I suppose, this time. We've not really ever focused just on the BOWs. Um, next podcast is going to be all about Gold Edition. Punctual. I like that. Is Krauser there? He's dead. Pity. But, after all, just another expendable grunt. Thanks to you, however, Umbrella's one step closer to its re-establishment. And once it is, there will be significant changes in our world.
quite when we'll release it. We'll try and get as close to the game as uh, possible. It's out on the 12th, but because we are coming up to Christmas festivities, it could be afterwards. Who knows? And of course, a new Star Wars film's out, so I may be pre-engaged. <laughs> <laughs> Watching it for the 17th time. <laughs> so, um, I hope everyone enjoyed that podcast. We'll put some uh, feelers up for Gold Edition if anyone wants to comment. Um, and on that note, it's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Stars Tyrant. And goodbye from me, Rombie. <laughs> <laughs>